0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never
1: Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, today we're going to shoot for the stars. Shoot for the moon. Go to infinity and beyond. Yes. And by that I mean we're going to space.
0: Going straight to space.
1: We're going to talk place. about women, NASA, astronauts, sexism, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Um so I mean, let's talk about astronauts. Did you ever want to be an astronaut when you were a kid? Nope, fear of heights. <laughs> no desire here.
0: <laughs> that settles it pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, my ambitions lay solely on,
1: <laughs> on the ground. On the ground. <laughs> Just the metaphorical stars you shoot for. <laughs> what about you? Um I guess not. I, I I, I always ask the question sometimes when I'm having conversations with people about whether they would go to space if they could never come back. Yeah. Ooh. If someone gave you a free trip to space and you'd get the experience of seeing space, but you could never come back. That sounds terrible. I think I'd take it. When else can you go to space? And tell no one about it? Mm-hmm. Some experiences can be magical even they're just for you. <laughs> I guess. Well, anyway, that's, that was on my on my mind when we started doing this research about women and the obstacles they ran into when they were going up against NASA the space agency
0: yes NASA the space agency and so far just to give you an idea of how few women have been into space via NASA 54 54
1: yeah. 54 female
0: astronauts that's that's all we got
1: I think that includes more than just the American women though I do think that includes international oh really yeah so my even gosh. less just from NASA even less. yeah so 54 women out of all women in the world have been in space. And you know, for a while the the face of NASA that was female was just an astronaut's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, those were sort of the first women that people really associate with with NASA because the um the women would have to sit at home while their husbands went to space. And since it was such a huge unknown, I mean, you know, they kind of felt like they were saying they were waiting for their husbands to die when they sat there watching the television. And by the way, NASA had cameras there to um, present a public face to the world of these brave women sitting at home waiting for the men.
0: They actually formed an Astronaut's Wives Club because... There were so few of them, mm-hmm. and little did they a lot of people know that even though they were in the media limelight, they were just living on government paychecks. It's not like they were living these extravagant lives, like astronauts weren't paid very well. Mm-mm. But then they were thrust into high society. So a tough life that these women had to lead. And a lot of them said that um, after their husbands would come home from space, uh they always
1: kind of had to play second fiddle to NASA. I mean, one th- can you compete with the moon? No. I mean, these men, you know, they've, they've done something that so few humans have done. It's natural that for a lot of them depression set in and they had trouble reacclimating to Earth. And it was the wives who really bore the brunt of that. And, um, you know, there are a lot of really good articles about these women who kind of um, formed the domestic face mm-hmm. of NASA. But less known. Uh, are women who were trying to become astronauts at the same time that many of these wives were sitting at home watching television.
0: Yes. Uh, and we should start the conversation with Mercury 13. And this was the first group of elite women who were tested and trained at the Lovelace Clinic, which was an aviation medicine hub that also tested Mercury 7, which were America's first astronauts. And They found these 13 women who they called First Lady Astronaut Trainees, or FLATs, and they excelled at their astronaut testing.
1: Yeah, basically, Robert Loveless, like you said, he tested the male astronauts, and he wanted to see if women would withstand the test just as well. Mm -hmm. Because someone had a theory that women weighed less, and so maybe it would take less gas to get them to space. Right. So he was like, all right, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm not going to tell the government. I've got these contacts with the government. So if the women end up doing well... I can get them in. Yeah. And like you said, they did awesome. Yeah. They gave them harder tests than the men went through. Most notably, they left one woman in a deprivation tank, mm-hmm. which is filled with water for nine hours. Like the longest they made junglens in that water was six hours. Pssh. So she did great. Um, all sorts of physical, emotional batteries of tests. The women were doing awesome. So at that point, Lovis was like, I'm on to something. Gonna get the uh, military on this and get some real standardized testing on these women. And that's where I we went into trouble.
0: Yeah, just days before these flats, the lady astronaut trainees were supposed to report to the Navy Aviation, Naval Aviation Center in Pensacola, everything was shut down. The plug is pulled. Plug was pulled on Mercury 13.
1: And the excuse that the women got was that there had been this dictate put into place by Eisenhower mm-hmm. that women had to be, in, I mean, that any astronaut had to be in the military to serve as an astronaut. Um, So women weren't allowed to serve in the military. Then by default, then no woman could be astronaut, an astronaut, no matter how well she did on the testing. The women did not take that news very well, and they started organizing meetings with members of Congress and with Vice President Johnson mm-hmm. to plead their case. And it was during these hearings that <laughs> a lot of
0: inherent sexism comes out, uh, not only within uh, just Congress, but also um, some unsavory quotes from John Glenn. Lay one on us, Kristen. All right, so this is John Glenn testifying at a 1962 congressional hearing on official astronaut qualifications, trying to figure out whether or not women can meet those ca- qualifications. And he says, and this is John Glenn, famed astronaut, the fact that women are not in this field is a fact of our social order.
1: He's just saying, like, women women don't belong in space. And he continued, if we could find any women that demonstrated they have better qualifications than men, we would open them with open arms. The audience uh, goes crazy because he's implying that women aren't as good as men. Right. Um, can I tell you about what Michael Collins of Apollo 11 said? Please. Um, this is, I mean, you got to remember, it is the 60s. It's not the most enlightened time. Yeah. But he wrote dreamily of the ingenious possibilities of weightlessness. Quote, no need to carry bras into space, that's for sure. Imagine a spacecraft of the future with a crew of a thousand ladies with two thousand breasts bobbling, bobbing beautifully and quivering delightfully. And I am the commander of the craft. And it is Saturday morning in time for inspection naturally. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, didn't he write that in space, like in his space
0: diary or something? Dreaming about space. That's how I think of it. I think of him. <laughs> floating around in his space capsule, dreaming of bobbing breasts.
1: Well, and, you know, to be fair, they probably thought we shouldn't have on, women on the spacecraft if sure. we've got people like Michael Collins dreaming of, of weightless breasts space bobbing base. around. Um, and one representative said that, uh, you know, eventually they wouldn't need women in the space program so they could colonize other planets. <laughs> Another classy quote. Oh, these guys. But basically the hearings uh, decided that it was not time to lift that... Uh, little arcane rule that Eisenhower put in place, that women had to come from the military. You know, the women were just saying, we want to be part of history, too. We know this is a big focus for our country right now. Let us help. And the hearing sort of found, like, you know, let's let the guys do this first, and then we'll worry about you ladies. Meanwhile, in Russia, they didn't care. <laughs> they
0: sent old Valentina Tereshkova up in space, becoming the first woman
1: in space in June of 1963. Yeah, and the women tried to use that to their advantage. They're like, "We hear Russia's got this woman; they're going to send up. Why don't we get? Why don't we get a woman up there
0: too?" And they were like, "That's just a Russian publicity stunt." Women, just Americans, just pipe down, okay?
1: And to be fair, it probably was. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the quotes you find about Trishkova it was um, that you know after after that, there are a lot of male people in that space program saying, "I'm never going to work with a woman again." So. It took a while after Treshkov to get another another woman in space. The Mercury 13 women disbanded and didn't come together again until um, Eileen Collins piloted a space shuttle, and they all came for her launch, um, at her invitation, because she wanted to thank them for being so inspirational to her. But most women, when they think of the space program and NASA and women, think of Sally Ride. Sally K. Ride, astrophysicist and America's first woman astronaut
0: who took off into space on june eighteenth, nineteen
1: eighty-three. So by the time Sally Ride went into space, they had done all they had done more testing. They had gotten rid of this one rule about military pilots that had kept the Mercury thirteen women back, um, allegedly, even though it was probably just greater sexism. And they did test after test on men and women in space. And most of the tests were focused on um, of course, women in, in menstruation, could women who had their periods in space handle that as well as maybe men who weren't encumbered by that.
0: Where would that menstrual blood go in that <laughs> gravity-free environment?
1: I think actually now when they send a woman into space, um, her box of tampons, all the tampons are kind of attached to each other mm-hmm. so that the one won't fly away <laughs> before the woman can can use it. It's yeah, a good idea. Um, side note, um But basically, these tests find that there's no difference between men and women in space. In fact, some tests start to find that women might do better in space than men, like those Mercury 13 tests held out. Maybe women have the emotional reserves to deal with the isolation and the craziness of space. Maybe they deal with the muscle loss better. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are less likely to have a heart attack and die in space and are are just stronger physically to undertake the mission.
0: Yes, and yet there's still been, you know, this, this huge... Reservation about um, sending women into space. But one woman we do need to mention before we go any further is May C. Jemison. She's an engineer and medical doctor who became the first black woman in space on September 12, 1992.
1: And like I mentioned, Eileen Collins also deserves a big shout out. She was the first woman to pilot an American space shuttle and then the first woman to pilot and command a NASA space shuttle. And that was in 1995 and then 2005. So more women are slowly going into space. Um, It seems like there will always be that sort of confusion about whether it's a man's job or a woman's job. I mean, China is starting to work on their space program, and they're saying only mothers can go into space because they don't want to mess up a woman's future fertility. So mm-hmm. this question still of, you know, women and children and um, periods, it's. Still kind of uh screwing up women's journeys into the stars. Do you think though that the Columbia and the Challenger
0: disasters where four women mm. were killed, four female astronauts were killed, do you think that, that the kind of the magnitude of those disasters maybe had a chilling effect at all? I mean it they, it didn't happen all that long ago. Right. But it seemed like, you know, I mean that's uh four out of 14 astronauts being female, that's that's a much better ratio than it used to be. That's true,
1: and especially on the Challenger when uh, Chris McAuliffe, the teacher, was such right. the public face of that disaster. I think that probably, yeah, if you were a little girl at the time, seeing her so closely associated with that disaster probably did put a damper on a lot of astronaut dreams. Mm-hmm. Although Sally Ride would say that the problem is not so much disasters like that as just that we don't push girls in math and science as well as we push boys. And this is a discussion that you know, we've had several times on whether um, whether girls are given the tools to excel in these fields. Mm-hmm. But she started Sally Wright Science, a corporation that teaches both teachers and girls about how to keep science interesting um, beyond the middle school and high school years. So mm-hmm. she's hoping that that sort of work will keep uh, girls more interested in the pursuits that could lead to a space career.
0: And then it also this whole issue also just brings up a larger societal question of why we still have trouble with the idea of putting women in high risk situations, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes into like women being allowed into combat in the military, sending women into space, you know, just uh, anytime we position women in a life potentially life threatening arena, we're far less comfortable than putting a man in the same place. Yeah.
1: Despite the fact that, like we said, women might be better physically equipped if these studies are correct. Um, then men, but then again, some people could say that the entire space program is underfunded and maybe it doesn't matter at all. Yeah, maybe it's useless. <laughs> um, but I do think that's a valid question is, do we not want women in space because it is, you know, something that's so unknown and that makes us nervous? Um, or, you know, is there still inherent sexism in some of these fields? You know, it's, it's worth, um, questioning whenever you see a, a space command going up. And of course we have to mention old Lisa Nowak. Oh yeah. The bad apple of female astronauts.
0: Lisa, for all of the progress other female astronauts had made, you had to go and strap on some disposable diapers and chase down, who was it, her uh, her husband or ex husband's girlfriend? I it was just
1: a boyfriend, a boyfriend. A boyfriend's girlfriend. And she had a husband and some kids at home and, and wanted to confront her female rival for a fellow astronaut's affection. And, you know, that might maybe that's an issue. There have been, um, you know, quotes and all these articles I've been reading about how this one man said he wouldn't send just one woman up into space. Yeah. He would send three at a time so that there wouldn't be like a rivalry between two of them. And one of them just wouldn't be like the token woman mm-hmm. that everyone was after. Like, you know, if you are up there for months at a time, what kind of dynamic sets in in such close quarters?
0: Uh. Now, I don't know. Speaking of the deprivation testing, I'm not sure which year this was, but uh, yeah, it does seem like it's a bad idea to only send one woman at a time because there was deprivation testing going on in Antarctica. That was uh, one woman among all these other men who were training to be astronauts. And apparently her presence alone, they're just being one of her in these icy, barren conditions, yeah. caused some violence among the men. I don't know. Things get weird. Yeah. Things get really weird sometimes. But should women
1: be punished because the men can't can't handle their deprivation.
0: Absolutely not. I mean it's it's only that's only more of an argument to for gender parity. Yeah. Even out the ratios and maybe dudes won't flip out so much. I know that's so <laughs> sexist of me to say.
1: But that's kind of a I that was that kind of That'll make up for that Bobbing Breast quote. There we go. <laughs> Take that, dreamy astronaut man. Who who was the one who wrote that? Uh Michael Collins. Michael Collins. Well, that's what we've got on Female Astronauts. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you wanted to be an astronaut, if you never wanted to be an astronaut, if you still want to be an astronaut, tell us your dreams about shooting among the stars. And you can write us at momstuff at com, and we shall read some emails. I have one here from Victoria, and she writes, I was listening to your podcast when I heard one of you use the colloquialism rule of thumb. I thought that you might appreciate the history behind it. Many people still use it, and I feel like the history needs to get out. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, it was a common practice and actually became a law in Virginia that men could only beat their wives with a stick that was the width of their thumb or less. When I heard of this fact, I was horrified, and I know the general population doesn't know about this, so I thought if you read this on your podcast, you can enlighten your listeners. This stems from generations of misogyny and sexism, but little by little... We're all doing our best at Five Facts. So this is my one-two punch to sexism for today.
0: Well, I have an email here from Melissa, and this is about our podcast on hymens. And she writes, I found your hymen podcast very interesting. However, I think you should have covered a few problems that can result in having to have minor surgery to have your hymen removed. You made it sound like it was never a big deal, and it can be. There are at least three cases where the hymen may have to be removed by a doctor. These are an imperforate hymen, a microperforate hymen, and a septate hymen. You can find out more about those three types of hymen at youngwomenshealth.org. You might want to check them out and address them. I know I had a microperforate hymen in my teens and had to have it removed by a doctor. I remember it being a big, scary deal to me at the time and feeling like a freak. I think it would be nice to do a follow-up podcast on these conditions. Perhaps we will, or if anything, we could do a follow-up blog post. So if you have any suggestions or ideas or stories to send our way, again, our email address is momstuffathowstuffworks.com. You can also head over to Facebook and like us there and converse with other MomStuff listeners. You can follow us on Twitter as well. Our handle is at MomStuffPodcast. And finally, you can read our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready.